Well, good morning. Once again, it is a pleasure to be here with uh, our church family, wherever you are. Uh, it's nice to be in the building with uh, those of you that have been able to join us as we continue the story in Nehemiah that we've uh, started over these past few weeks. Uh, having left off at the end of chapter 2, we'll jump into the story uh, as it goes into chapter 3, and we'll, we'll spend the majority of our time, as Pastor Garth said, in chapter 4 today, the first bit of chapter 4, uh, looking at dealing with obstacles and understanding uh, what we can do to recognize and, and remedy the situations. When we lay out uh, Nehemiah, it can be broken down, and, and, and we've done it many times, to chapter 1 being an expression of concern, chapter 2 and 3 a, an expression of the story of construction and getting ready to rebuild the walls, chapters 4 through 6, conflict and understanding the obstacles that, that were faced by Nehemiah and, and, and the Jews that were working on the wall, chapters 7 through 12 about consecrating the walls and consecrating uh, what they'd been working towards and, and the reclaiming of their, of their home. And chapter 13, of course, the cleansing and, and being ready to rededicate uh, their work and, and, and their city to the Lord. Uh, as Pastor Garth taught last week, uh, chapter 2 saw Nehemiah's birth as a leader and as a champion for the people, but it also revealed some of the personal and, and professional challenges that he would face coming from outside and inside the people. In the last two verses of chapter 2, we saw opposition to his mission. And the chapter ends with his responding to the crisis, uh, telling them that we're going to continue. This wasn't about the individuals complaining. It was about the mission from God. Chapter 3 of Nehemiah involves a sweeping and encyclopedic account of the laborers, what they did, who did it, what their names were, all of their assignments along the wall. 44 individual peoples or groups are named. 41 times we hear that they built or repaired different aspects. He built this. He built that. He repaired this area. He built that part. We hear uh, one mention of someone who repaired earnestly. And we hear one account of someone who did not put their back into the wall. It's a testament to the intent of the worker, to the scope and size of the project and also to the spirit of their leader. So in chapter 3, you have initiation, and you have action, and you have initiative. And now in chapter 4, you see efforts to get them off that wall. Rarely is overt physical confrontation the first step in obstacles. The, the process of opposition tends to be first thought, and getting individuals to, to think about and consider themselves and doubt. And the second part is word, and people be confronted by the things that other people say directly to them or about them. And finally, you have opposition in deed. So it goes from thought to word to deed, and we, we see that growth starting at the end of chapter 2 and continuing into now the start of chapter 4. That it's actually a thought piece that we see initiating where, where uh, uh, Nehemiah is faced with the challenge, why are you doing this? Are, 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 are you rebelling against the king? And this is intended to both challenge him verbally and to get him to think about what the implications of his actions are. 
In chapter 3, he continues to build the wall. And now in chapter 4, we see this ridicule. Ridicule is nothing new for leaders in the Bible, certainly nothing new for us, but we see accounts of great biblical leaders being ridiculed on a regular basis. Goliath ridiculed David, saying, Am I a dog that you've come at me with sticks? Job's friends ridiculed him to the point that Job said, I, I'm a laughing stock. And of course, famously, soldiers ridiculed Christ, mocking him and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. Here, Sambalat first ridicules the workers, calling them feeble, these feeble Jews. Then he ridicules the work being done, saying uh, uh, that, that the quality isn't high enough. And finally, he, he ridicules the materials being used, that the stones are old and damaged. His companion adds that the work is so shoddy it would crumble under the weight of a fox. The messages were clear. You're not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not going to work. The thing about discouragement is, is that it's intended to weaken. It's, it's, that's what it does, discourage. It breaks us down. It, it, it has the potential to create doubt and despair and depression. None of us are immune. We, we have interactions of opposition, days of opposition, even seasons of opposition. These same messages come through to us. You're not good enough. It's not good enough. It's not going to work. Nehemiah's example of perseverance under fire is a lesson in leadership and a testament to resilience and resolve. So what are the lessons that we can specifically learn from Nehemiah and from this passage in recognizing and responding to that opposition as we see it in our personal and professional lives? Well, first is to exercise determination. Winston Churchill once said, you have enemies? Good. That means you've stood up for something at some point in your life. Last week, Pastor Garth explained that one of Nehemiah's first steps was coming up with a plan, getting ready. Maintaining focus on that plan, whatever your goals are, are the ambition Guiding principles and keys to overcoming adversity. Staying focused on that plan. When opposition arrives, and and, and Scripture tells us it will arrive, hard as it may be, our responsibility is to remain determined to the tasks God has ordained us for. We, We have to maintain both our focus and our momentum towards those goals and towards those tasks. We're going to get tired, dog-tired, fed up, disheartened, discouraged, distracted. Uh, And that's the enemy's plan, is, is to take us off stride, take us off mission, get us concerned about other things. We're going to be paying attention to our social standing or our, our reputation, what people are saying to us or about us, what people are posting about us even. We're going to be tempted to waste our efforts, our time, and our energy to addressing the obstacles rather than the tasks. 
Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That's, that's what Nehemiah does here. Despite being confronted and mocked again and again and again in thought and in word so far, Nehemiah remains dedicated and encourages others to dedicate themselves to their calling, rebuilding that wall. The second thing we can learn from Nehemiah is to exercise dignity. Dale Carnegie said, Any fool can criticize, complain, and condemn. And most fools do. But it takes character and self-control to be understanding and forgiving. We don't necessarily see forgiveness here from Nehemiah, but you also don't see retribution. You don't see an argument ensuing or back-and-forth name-calling. Nehemiah doesn't defend the wall. Nehemiah doesn't defend the claims made against the quality or the the possibility of shoddy workmanship. Instead, his focus is on the issue, opposition. His response isn't formal or grand. He simply says, get him out of here. In verses 4 and 5, he says, Hear us, O God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sights, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. And then how does the next verse start? So we built the wall. He moved on and back to the task. His energy and emphasis was not on the argument. It, was, it remained on the task. Nehemiah is facing opposition that is angry. It says that twice. Enraged. And it's starting to get personal. If there was ever a time to square off and challenge somebody on what they were saying about you or your work, this was it. If this was a labor commissioned by God, endorsed by the king, followed by the people. And they were completing an organized, successful, and incredible task. And they were being jeered and mocked for it. Instead of responding in kind or in defense of his decisions or actions, though, Nehemiah chose self-respect. In fact, in neither opportunity in this passage to confront the opposition or to defend his position, does he even address those challenging him. Instead, in both cases, and throughout the book of Nehemiah, as we'll see, His immediate and unconditional and unwavering response is prayer. This, of course, leads to the final lesson that Nehemiah teaches in this passage, which is to exercise dedication. There's a quote that I'm reminded of each time I teach or lead through the book of Nehemiah with coaches or athletes or leaders, and that's this. Faithfulness is most necessary when it's most difficult. Nehemiah's ongoing prayers to God and dedication to God's calling for him uh, are an overwhelmingly powerful response to opposition, difficult as they may be for us. Far greater than any rebuttal or revenge or or, or any any sort of... uh, uh, 
activity against the opposite, directly against the opposition that any of us could manage on our own. Nehemiah's resilience and, and poise are undoubtedly products of his faithfulness and his res- reliance on God's guidance rather than on his own capacity as a builder or even as a leader. Psalm 34 tells us, When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. He keeps all his bones. Not one of them is broken. In many of our daily challenges, personal and professional, we, we, we can reach a point where we feel isolated. We feel alone in finding relief and, and certainly limited in our abilities to overcome and, and move beyond. But Nehemiah's example of his dedication to God, his, his constant example throughout the book of Nehemiah, is one to not simply study and notice, but hopefully to emulate as Christians and as disciple-makers in the faith. Billy Graham wrote that the will of God will never take you where the grace of God will not protect you. That, that was true for Nehemiah, and it's, it's true for us today. As we follow our paths and, and we strive for our goals, and, well, navigate what the new normal looks like on an everyday basis in our communities, we need, to, we need to remember that we're not alone and the resources available to us are not limited to what we possess. There's a story that uh, was shared in one of my discipleship workshops when we uh, went through Nehemiah and I taught the book of Nehemiah, and a a gentleman said to me, that reminds me of a story that I heard growing up, and I want to share that with you. He said, one day a group of frogs were traveling through the forest, and, and suddenly two of them fell into a deep hole. All the other frogs gathered around the top and looked down into the pit, and when they saw how deep it was, they told the two frogs who had fallen in to simply give up. They said that for all purposes, they were dead. There was no use trying to get back out. They couldn't help, and there was nothing that those frogs could do to free themselves. The two frogs ignored the comments and kept trying to jump with all their might off the sides and up to the top of the pit. Those at the top continued to insist their efforts would be futile, and they were simply wasting their energy. Finally, one of the frogs took heed to what the others were saying and gave up. He collapsed and and died at the bottom of the pit. The other frog, though, continued to jump as hard as he could, bounding from side to side, trying to reach the top. Once again, the crowd yelled down and beckoned him, Stop your suffering. You're about to die. Make your peace instead. This was all in vain. There's no need to keep fighting. But the frog jumped with increasing force until finally he managed to get himself out of the hole. When he came out, the other frog said to him, we're glad you made it out, but, uh, I mean, we, we, we meant well. Despite what we screamed, we're, we're glad to see you. And the, and the frog said, well, I couldn't hear you. 
I thought you were encouraging me. As the story of Nehemiah continues, we'll see further threats to God's plan and to Nehemiah's work. The more attacks that come from without and within, the deeper the demonstration of faith. At each step and at each opportunity, we're going to see that Nehemiah relies on the qualities we looked at today, determination, dignity, and dedication to overcome those obstacles. The book of Nehemiah is is an amazing lesson in leadership. I've used it countless times when working with coaches and leaders and athletes, even parents. The application found um, throughout the book and the story of the rebuilding of the walls continues to be relevant and valuable uh, across all sorts of uses. Christ's promise to us uh, through his death and resurrection is, is when we do count it all joy, when we meet trials of various kinds, and, and, and as we read in James 1, we, we know that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness, and that in letting steadfastness have its, its, its full effect, we will be perfect and complete and laugh, lacking in nothing, in, in contrast to where we are without him, which is uh, lacking everything slaves to the world, and, and of course, dead to sin. So if that's where you find yourself today, facing these obstacles and challenges, uh, disheartened and disillusioned, maybe depressed, I, I invite you and, and I encourage you, reach out in prayer. Christ alone offers relief from these obstacles. Christ alone can overcome the obstacles of the world and deliver us from death. And, and, and there's no better day than today, time than, than now, to reconnect or, or connect for the first time with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity to gather despite restrictions and despite isolation. We pray for for patience. We pray for understanding for our community and members of our families. As we face obstacles and challenges, Lord, may we look to you rather than to our powers, our resources, our wisdom, or our experience. We ask that you guide us with the peace that passes understanding and that you hold us safely and wholly in the protection of your love. We thank you, Lord, for the health and welfare of those around us. We continue to praise you for your provision and for your relief from these obstacles. We pray in your holy name. Amen.